Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Living, a practical guide for living the open-handed life every day. We are now 33 days into the 50 days between Passover and Pentecost, and it has been a glorious time over here, I have to tell you. It's turned out way different than I thought, because in the past, I've always just tried to do this time, and I've failed miserably several times, and then a couple times I would eke it out, I'm gonna do those 50 days, and I'd have like, you know, a few people following me, yeah, let's do this, but it always was like kind of this crazy, rogue thing that we were doing on the side but this time our whole our entire home ministry is doing it so we lead the um south orange county church and all of us are able to go through this time together so it's really been different than i thought it would be in a couple ways one is we're able to talk about this time period just slow ourselves down and immerse ourselves in this time just like the first apostles did and kind of feel how it would feel to them, you know, to see this amazing event in the resurrection and to think, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But then to have probably several days, I mean, even up to a week of silence, not really knowing what's going on. And then Jesus appearing again and speaking to you about the kingdom of God, as it says he did. And, but then him disappearing again and then coming back again and then disappearing again, how that must have felt so exciting on one hand, like so awesome, and then so, you know, kind of disconcerting on another hand, like what's going on? I don't, I don't get what's happening, you know, because they don't have this, you know, this viewpoint of looking back 2000 years and knowing, oh, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come at Pentecost. Everything's going to be okay. You know, they didn't have that. They just had to live it. They had to live in that uncertainty. And this has really slowed me down to be able to feel what that must have felt like. You know, it does feel like Easter was a long time ago. Um, and so it must have felt really difficult for them at times. So it's really helped in that way, but it, it, you know, it's also been really amazing because we've been able to make these lessons our Sunday morning lessons and our midweek lessons have all been about, been about the spirit and this time period. And, and me making these videos is just sort of extra and on top of that, which it always used to be kind of the only thing that would be going on for it. So it's been really amazing. And if you want to get any of those videos um, to keep up with what we've been doing as a church, you can find us on YouTube at SOC Church. Um, or South Orange County Church. Just look that up and you can get those videos. But the last one we made was called Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. And it was about Peter. And it's one of my very favorite lessons. I mean, I've really been able to connect with, I've always felt so connected to Peter. But this time I was really able to connect with him even in a, in a deeper way. And so we made that video um, on Sunday and I've gotten a lot of, um, I don't know, response just to something I said in that. And it was that, you know, God has made each of us unique. Each of us has been, you know, fearfully and wonderfully made, as David reminds us in the Psalms, that we were knit together in our mother's womb in exactly the way that he wanted us to be. You know, it's so amazing how human beings have, um, just our own unique everything, our unique fingerprint, our unique eye. You know, no one has the exact same eye print, I guess is maybe what you would call it, as anybody else on the planet. Even identical twins are different in that way. And I just think it's so amazing the way each one of us is perfectly made by God to be perfectly unique and be uniquely used by him. And in this 
video this past week, I had said that, you know, God made us that way. But as we become more like Jesus, as we model our life after Jesus, as we become more like him, we actually are able to become that pure and beautiful creature that he created us to be to begin with. We don't become um, exactly like everybody else. We don't become robots. We don't lose our personality. We actually become more of our personality, but the good parts of our personality. We all know we have these strengths and these weaknesses. And as we model ourselves after Jesus Christ, we actually get to use our strengths. And it really does minimize our weaknesses um, and helps us to become more of who God wanted us to be. And it's just been something that people have responded to a lot. And that got me thinking about um, why we have sort of trouble with this concept. And, you know, I've, I've noticed that um, throughout the years that two people can be hearing the exact same sermon um, or hearing the exact same lesson or message, and they can respond to it so totally differently. And um, in this case, I'm not talking about our unique makeup, but I'm talking about, it seems that some people can hear a message that is corrective or um, somehow calling us to look at some weakness in our character or some sin or, or defect that we want to um, get rid of or overcome. And they hear it, and they can get very depressed and very down on themselves and very discouraged and um, almost full of shame. Somebody else can hear the exact same sermon and be like, oh my gosh, I totally needed that. Thank you. I needed that. Man, sometimes I just feel like I need someone to go, you know, wake up or, you know, a, a, a good slap in the face, like, come on, come on, you can do it. Um, they hear it as a coach in their corner, so to speak, that maybe they did need a kick in the pants or like, you know, that. And I've always marveled at this, like what makes two people hear the exact same message in two such completely different ways? And then I was thinking about this question that I heard Marty Solomon ask. Um, I just, he, he, would, he asked it a lot throughout um, sessions one and two. He was talking about this. When you think about your true self, like who you are from the very core of your being. Do you see that person as good or as bad? As a beautiful creation knit together by God or as that sort of Romans 7 person like, ah, oh, the good I wanna do, I just can't do. The evil that's inside of me, that's what always wins out just that evil person, that their heart is somehow inherently evil. And I have thought about that question so much and I realized, you know, because I've always been sort of that person that goes, oh, thank you, that was a great message. You know, and I could hear that message and somehow I would internalize it in a good way. And I would be like, yes, we can do this. Come on, let's go. And I realized it's because when I look at my true self, I see that person as the person that God created to be in the garden. And I think it goes back to an, a, a, um, a, a, probably an imperfect understanding of some scriptures, but these are the scriptures that come to mind for me. I mean, I don't think I could ever really understand them because I'm only human after all. But, you know, in Ephesians, it says that 
we were chosen before the creation of the world. We were chosen in him. That's what it says. Now, this is a mind-blowing concept. There's no way that we could ever know what it means. But somehow what that says to me is I am a spiritual being. I am a spirit. And I have, I'm a spirit with skin on right now. And I know I quote this all the time by C.S. Lewis, but he said that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And I believe that I am a spirit with skin on for these 70, 80, who knows, maybe 100 years. And I'm going to return to that spirit. And I believe that I was created in perfection like that. You know, God created the, the garden and it was good. It was very good, actually, is how he describes the creation of human beings. Now, sin enters the picture and it messes things up. <laughs> it messes everything up. It causes us to hurt each other. It causes us to do bad things that we regret. It causes us to do things that we never thought we were capable of, you know. It causes us to be mean and rude and, you know, all of those things we don't want to be. But that's not who we are. The reason that they hurt and we hate them about ourselves is because it actually hurts that beautiful being that we are created to be. I really feel like that's where our guilt comes from, is that we're doing something to hurt this beautiful creation that God created. And that every time we are able to identify something that is keeping us from our creator, some sin that separates us from him, something, something that we're doing that, that blocks our connection with him and keeps us from really feeling we are the apple of his eye, that, we, that he loves to be with us, that he desires time with us, that he delights in us. Anything that fogs that mirror up, it's something that we wanna get rid of, that it's sin, it's not us. It's not who we are from the inside. It's something that is getting in the way of who God created us to be. And I think this is a really important concept that you need to really think about and ask yourself. If I had to really say, who is my true self? Do I see that person as beautiful and fearfully and wonderfully made? Or do I see that person as the evil that's inside of me, the flesh? And this is going to answer probably a lot of questions for you about how you interpret um, things that you read and things that you hear. You know, I love that scripture in Isaiah where it says that before I was born, the Lord called me. You know, this is why I've always, you know, as, as Christians, I think we, we, we believe in the sanctity of life. We believe that there is a life before we are born, that baby in the tummy has been chosen from, I guess, the spirits that God has. And he get, puts skin on that spirit and puts it in, in the mama's belly, exactly the way it's supposed to be. And before we're even born, God calls our name. And so... I love that scripture because what it says to me is, I have a purpose. You know, Isaiah says that, that this is in Isaiah 49, that, that God actually 
put the words in his mouth, that he, that he gave him something to speak, that he gave him something to say. And each one of us has something meaningful and powerful and necessary to say. We have something necessary to this earth. And this is what I was getting out of Peter this time, was that, you know, Peter was created exactly the way that he was so, you know, so, um, I don't know, mouth first. Um, you know, he's the one that, I just love all of his spirit, you know, like he's this rugged fisherman, but he was always all in God. He was the first one to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I mean, it wasn't someone else that said that. He was like, yes. And then later on, he's the one at the tomb when they're running to the tomb, him and John, you know, John runs ahead of him and John stands at the the, the um, entrance to the tomb, but Peter runs all the way in so he could pick up the clothes and look at it like, what, you know? And then later on, you know, he's the one that jumps out of the boat when he sees Jesus on the shore and he figures out it's Jesus. John says, it's Jesus. And he's like, oh my gosh. So he jumps out of the boat and he runs, you know, he gets all wet, and, you know, and so that he can just be the first one to Jesus. And then later he's the very, he's the one that stands up and addresses the crowd in Acts 2 and says, men of Israel, listen to this. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And he preaches the very first sermon about Jesus Christ. You know, I just love that part of him. But then there was, when there's someone that big, they mess up really big too, right? They mess up really big. You know, he's, the, he's also the one that Jesus personally rebukes and says, get behind me, Satan. He's also the one that says, put your sword away. And he he fixes that mistake and puts the guy's ear back on because Peter had chopped it off. <laughs> He's also the one that denies Jesus three times in the face of servant girls because he was so afraid. And he makes these huge mistakes, right? This is who he is. But in the end, you know, Jesus, before he leaves, he makes it a point to personally meet with Peter to say, I believe in you. Remember when he said to Peter, you know, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, Peter, but I have prayed for you that you will return and take care of your brothers. You know, Jesus personally prays for Peter. He personally appears to Peter and he personally reinstates Peter. And it's at that point where he reinstates him in John that I want us to read together today. I know I've done a lot of time um, just setting this up, but it seemed, I don't know, it kind of seemed necessary in this case. <laughs> but he says, you know, he gets Peter alone. Oh, this is gonna be in uh, John 21, verse 16. No, verse 15, it says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. 
And I just want to talk about this for a second that, you know, um, Jesus did believe in Peter. He totally believed in him. You know, I've prayed for you, Peter, right? But he's asking Peter so that Peter can become more aware of himself. You know, Jesus was not surprised when Peter denied him three times. It wasn't Jesus who was surprised. It was Peter. Peter was surprised because he just thought of himself differently. He just didn't think that he had it in him to deny his master. He just thought that he was further along than he was. I mean, can you relate to that? I certainly can. When we're not self-aware, I mean, and I've, I've always struggled to become self-aware. I've just big personality, big doing stuff. You don't take enough time to really reflect on self and know yourself. And so you'd make big mistakes and big blunders and you say big things, you know, that are wrong. You know, he just didn't know himself well enough. Jesus wasn't surprised by that. Only Peter was taken by surprise. You know, sometimes we're going to do things that we're like, I didn't think that I would ever do that. Or, man, I messed up big time. But Jesus doesn't, um, you know, he, that doesn't take him out. That doesn't mean, well, I can't use you anymore. You know, oh, sorry, you blew it, too bad. <laughs> you know, you blew it too big. No, actually, Jesus uses Peter in probably the biggest way <laughs> to start his church. That's pretty big. So from denying Jesus to starting the church, that's what God can do with you. That's what Jesus can do with you. He's not surprised by your shortcomings. He's not surprised by your failures. He's not surprised when you do something that you thought you would never do. Only you are. So how can you sort of regain your composure after you blow it like that, if you do something like that? Well, Jesus here is showing him how. He's saying, do you love me? And, and Peter's like, yeah, I do. And Jesus is saying, he's like, then do this. Then feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. Basically love people. You're gonna have to do it my way. He says, follow me. You know, and Peter is like, what? Why do you keep asking me that? You know what I feel. And Jesus does know what he feels. He does know that Peter loves him. Sometimes I can be like, what? Are you impugning my motives? <laughs> you know, I, I feel impugned at the accusation. Like, how dare you impugn my motives? How could you? You know, because I'm such a true believer in my heart. You know, I do have that. I'm like the, I don't know what that's called, but you know, the, the idealist, you know, the true, but come on, everybody. Yes, God is God. Oh, it's awesome. And so I can almost be offended at the accusation that I could be doing anything wrong, you know? But yet Jesus is going, no, I, I believe in you, but you need to do things my way. The, your way is not my way. Passion is good, but it doesn't finish the race. You're gonna need love to finish the race. And I feel like that's what he was saying to him. And I feel like that's what Jesus is continually saying to me. Tracy, you're passionate. That's great. Now love people in a way that they feel loved. <laughs> in a way that they feel loved. Not in a way that you intended it. Well, they should know, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I can be like that, the joke, the husband that's like, I've, you know, I've I told you I'd love you. Now you should just know that forever, you know. <laughs> love people in the way that you, that they feel loved. 
So that's a big deal, you know, kind of to get from Peter is to do things Jesus's way. But then this next thing for me is when I realize um, just how uniquely we are all made. After that, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, well, if I want him to remain alive till I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? And I think this is such a huge thing for all of us to get, right? And this was why it goes back to that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows you. He made you. He has something specific for you to do. And you can't look around at anybody else and compare yourself to anybody else because they were uniquely made for their own mission. You know, Matthew, thank God we have him in all of the words of Jesus that he wrote down because that's the way his mind worked. Thank God for John, who was allowed to live to an old age so he could teach us about love. He's the only apostle that was allowed to live so long. And so he's the only one that we see to live to that old age. Thank God we have that model in front of us to teach us how to love. You know, I'm in my 50s. And honestly, I feel like I'm just now figuring out how to love. I think I'm just learning how to love, how to love my children, how to love people around me, how to love in such a way that people feel it. I'm learning from John, but that's because he was uniquely made. They were all, all of them uniquely made. I think about, I, that's why I love The Chosen. If you're not watching it, you have to, um, because it shows all of these people who had an encounter with Jesus and how they, um, how their specific and imperfect lives were used by Jesus, were affected by Jesus and how Jesus goes on to use them to turn the world upside down. I just, you know, I just love that show because I think it shows just how um, we don't have to clean up. Jesus is the one that does the cleaning up. You know, I was listening to this um, podcast of one of my good friends and she was just talking about so many years of trying to clean, 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 clean herself, clean herself, clean herself. And that's the way it can feel if we don't remember that our, um, our, our original being is approved of by God and every single thing that we go through in this life that removes that yuck that's around us, you know, that, that the sins that have been committed against us and the sins that we've committed against other people and the mess that it has made in our lives. That's not our true identity. In every step forward to release ourselves from all of that baggage, that's why it says we, it's for freedom that we have been set free. It's for freedom that we have been saved. You know what I'm saying? Like it's amazing because we get to free ourselves of all of that sin that so easily entangles and we get to become this incredible person that we were always intended to be. So what can you do with this? So I'm wondering, maybe the next time that those tapes start running in your head that are like, you suck, 
you know, oh man, I hate myself. I hate myself. That was a tape that used to run in my head all the time. I hate myself. I hate myself. And it can still come up. If I do something wrong, I do something super embarrassing. I flub up in some terrible way or, you know, I do it again, whatever it is. You know, I yelled again. I can't believe I yelled again. Or I, I was rude again. Or I got caught up in myself again. Or I, I answered harshly again. Or I, you know, whatever it is, you're again. Whenever that starts to bring you down and make you feel like you're nothing and those tapes start going that I hate myself. I'm, I'm nothing and I'm worthless or I'm whatever it is and that shame spiral starts. Is there a way that you can go, wait a second, God, remember, help me to remember I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That you can see it taking you back to that five-year-old girl, that person before all of this started, that one that loved God and had a connection with God. Remember how the Bible says that each child has their own guardian angel. We have that connection to God because when we're children, we're so close to him. Is it possible that this situation where I just messed up could be a step closer to that instead of a spiral down into shame? Could it draw me closer to the person that you made me to be because I can wipe this one away because you're the one that's wiping it away? Could it be that we could change that narrative in our mind? That's a question I wanna leave with you today is how can I not take this down the shame spiral and take myself back to the garden that place where God, where God created me just exactly how he wanted me to be. And I hope this helps you to draw closer to God and to walk in his ways and to open your hands to living this life that he's created.